Good morning. If you're here this morning at 9.30, Brother Ned opened the meeting this morning by reading out of Psalms 57. And I can't get verse 7 out of my mind. It says, My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. And we can take that in several ways that that which is broken in us, that sin has broken in us, it's fixed. But I think it's also a picture of being fixated upon God, to be centered upon him, to be knowing that he is the only thing that we can hold to that isn't going to change, and that we can put our eternal hope and all the promises of him in Jesus Christ. But along that same line, I'd like for you to turn to 1 John chapter 4, and we'll just read 11 verses there as we open today's meeting. This is a special day to come together to be together, to open up the word of God together, to be in the spirit of God. This portion came to me in my mind because I believe we are living in an increasingly deceptive world. It's so imperative that we be fixated on God. 1 John chapter 4, the first 11 verses. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. That's a directive that we need to take to heart. Increasingly, information is becoming so prevalent and so available that we can so quickly be turned aside, be Uh, deceived. We need to be very questioning, very skeptical of the spirit behind the messenger that we're hearing. To try those spirits, because there's many false prophets in the world. Verse 2, hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now is already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. As Christians in the world that we're in, I think we just increasingly need to be alert in the spirit of God to recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of error and to be bold enough to discern it and to point it out and to be fixated upon God and upon his ways and upon his word and upon Jesus Christ. But then he goes on for a few verses here because all of this... that we have as believers is because God 
in his unique character of love created us? Well, let's, let's see what he says here about us. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God. That's a pretty simple thing, that we would respond to God and to love him. Uh, as we recognize that we're just children, spiritually. It's a, it's, a, it's a simple matter to return love to God. But he contrasts that in the next phrase. <clears throat> Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. That's the amazing thing. That God, in all that he is, and who he is, and his character, and, and, and all of his power, and authority, and wisdom, and glory, and honor, that he would even take the time to love us, but he does. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Brother Cody, we're going to call on you to, to pray. We want to remember in prayer this morning uh, the deliverance that Brother Gary has had through the night from his condition. We praise God for that. Other prayer requests or concerns or praises you'd like to share this morning? Yes. Linda, that is uh, Stephen Karen's sister-in-law that is experiencing a stroke. Let's keep her in our prayers as well. Anyone else? Yes. Let's keep in mind Bonnie Dutter and her need for prayer as well. Yes. Lindell Noecker, who's undergoing treatment in Florida currently for Lyme's disease. Yes. Brother Cody, could you lead us in prayer, please?
Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the repudiation for our sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a wonderful message. Welcome to worship this morning. We welcome everyone, our visitors, our congregation that normally comes here. All are welcome. I would like to think that anyone that would come through those doors would be welcomed here this morning. They should be. So good morning and welcome to worship. Do you think that things that we experience publicly as we worship, as we live where we live, are so good that they cannot continue that way? How long do you think it'll be like this? We reflected a little bit too on the message that Ned gave us this morning. And his primary thought was the storms of life. The tornado came through, he said, and he was sleeping and didn't even know that it went through. And then the, the chapter that he read not only had the verse in it about our hearts being fixed on God, but also that through all of the storms of life, the commalities of life, the God of truth and mercy would be with us. You know, I thought about the message that Jesus left his disciples. It's still the message today. Sometimes he does not calm the storm. It just keeps raging. Sometimes he chooses to calm it. But when the storm keeps raging, he has promised to calm his child through the storm. Do you believe that this morning? You know, last evening here, there were several of us that are in this congregation, met together for a meal to celebrate God's love. Our love for God and our love for one another. And I have a message on my heart this morning, both Shirley and I. A message of encouragement to you young people. It was just a wonderful delight to have you service last night. To see you work together, and we've watched you develop in the Lord. And we just want to encourage you to continue to work together, continue to give that message to your peers and to the community, and just let the grace of God so envelop your life and his love control you that nobody can help but see that Jesus is a Savior that changes lives. We'd like for you to open your Bibles to the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, first chapter. Paul wrote about three pastoral letters, a couple to Timothy and one to Titus. 
And he wrote these letters to instruct and encourage both of these spiritual sons in the faith to diligently share and preach and live the gospel. So we're just going to read a few verses here in this first chapter of 2 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. I think we'll stop there. I don't know whether it's always been this way or whether I just notice it more, but in the last few weeks, there have been at least eight or ten brothers in the faith that I knew quite well, some maybe better than others. They were from their probably early 80s to into their 90s that passed on. So they're not here anymore physically, but something of them still here. I'd like for you to look at the fifth verse that we read here. This is uh, Paul recalling to his mind. He said, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy mother, grandmother Lois, and in thy mother Eunice, I am persuaded in thee also. I'd like to use this verse for a text this morning. This is a verse that Paul is celebrating in Timothy, one of a legacy of unfeigned faith, first in his grandmother Lois, then in his mother Eunice, and now in him. A family legacy of unfeigned faith. I'd like to title the message this morning, What Legacy Am I Leaving? What is a legacy? I don't know how you would define that. I'll just simply say it's what I value in life. 
what I've done in life. You know, you go to the graveyard and you'll find on, a, on a, almost every stone there, there's a date, that's a date of birth, and then there's just a little dash and there's another date and that's a date of death. My legacy is what the dash consists of. Just the dash between those two dates. What I'm defined by reflects my character value, and it may be passed on down to my posterity. It was here in Paul's recognition of Timothy. Now I want to say this. Salvation is personal, and salvation is not passed down from one generation to another. Either you have a relationship with Jesus or you don't. And your parents, your grandparents, cannot pass salvation down to you. But along with that, I want to say this, that legacy has a great influence. What legacy am I leaving? What is my legacy? Well, the point I want with this is that everyone is leaving a legacy. Could be good, or it could be bad. Let's just use the example of the first family that we read about in the Bible. Adam and Eve, it says, has two sons. One of them, his name was Cain, and the other one's name was Abel. Now, if you'll uh, turn in your book over to the 11th chapter of Hebrews... We just want to read one verse here. Hebrews 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. You see, Abel was no more physically, but his life, the legacy of his righteousness by faith, lived on. The writer here says it's still living today. The legacy of righteousness by faith in Brother Abel. So I want to say this. Legacy is a choice. Now let's think about his brother for a moment. You know, Cain, the Lord told Cain, he said, you can be accepted if you want to be. He said, you could do right too, if you want to. But he made a poor choice. Cain slew Abel because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. You know, when Jude wrote his epistle, he commented on that. That legacy of evil and unrighteousness and ungodliness being passed on. 
And he said words like this. He said, Woe unto the ungodly, for they have gone in the way of Cain. So legacies live on, and all are leaving a legacy. What is my legacy? Some Bible scholars believe that there was a, a Jewish tradition in their public worship where one psalm was assigned to each day of the week, seven days, seven psalms, a cycle of completion from start to finish. An example of that, I suppose, would be creation. God created the world and everything therein in six days, and he rested the seventh, seven days, seven days of completion. So I want to just look at these psalms, and I want to look at one, the one they've assigned for each day of the week, and I want to look at the theme of legacy through these psalms. The psalm that was assigned to today, first day of the week, Sunday, was Psalm 24. Let's turn there. Let's read that psalm. going to think about legacy through this psalm. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Who hath not lifted up his soul the vanity nor sworn deceitfully he shall receive the blessing of the Lord the righteousness from the God of his salvation this is the generation of them that seek him and seek thy face O Jacob Selah lift up your heads O ye gates and be ye lift up ye everlasting doors and the king of glory shall come in who is this king of glory the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Let's go back to the first two verses. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein, for he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. God, by his sovereignty and power, is creator and sustainer. And he says here, and they that dwell therein, he has created mankind in his image and his likeness, and his identity and authority is to us in Christ Jesus. I'm going to go to Paul's writing. You don't have to. It's in Coloss the book of Colossians. And he says words like this about Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him 
all things consist. Jesus Christ is God, creator, and sustainer. Amen. Let's look at the next couple verses. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Who is that? No one. Can anyone do that? No one. So let's read on. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord, the righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob. And then it wants us to stop and pause and consider that for just a moment. What is he saying here? He's saying that the verse 3 and 4 will be accomplished for those who seek and surrender to the Lord that he will accomplish his righteousness and his salvation for them and in them. We'll go back where we were reading in Colossians. And this is what Paul says. He says, The Father God hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And he's the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to re reconcile all things to himself by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or whether they be things in heaven. Righteousness, redemption, reconciliation translated into a kingdom where Christ is the king, the kingdom of grace. Now let's look at the last part of this 24th Psalm. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory will come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. Those verses instruct us to worship and exalt the King of Kings, the King of Glory. We are to think about that. Does my legacy exalt a creator? Does my legacy worship a redeemer? I had a grandfather that was a very avid outdoorsman. And a lot could be said about that, but we'll just leave it at that. And when he got to be about 90 years old because of some uh, health difficulties, 
he went into assisted living. But even in the wintertime, in assisted living, he would take his lap robe and put it on and go out with his electric wheelchair. And they was doing some construction on buildings close by, and he was just involved outside as much as he could be. Well, his children, first generation, second generation, weren't there close by, so oftentimes Shirley and I would take him to worship because that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to attend public worship on Sunday. And he'd come in to the congregation and somebody would greet him and they'd say, How you doing today, Orville? And he'd say, Well, I can't see and I can't hear, but I'm doing just fine and I'm really thankful to be here. You know, the writer of the Psalms put it this way. He said, one thing I have desired of the Lord, and that's what I'm going to seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and behold the beauty of the Lord, and inquire in his temple. He was glad when it was time to go to the house of the Lord. Now I want to fast forward to about the third or fourth generation. This man has a great grandson now that has an occupation and a ministry in that legacy. He has a certificate of education and outdoor survival. His classroom is outdoors. His teaching is that of creation, and he works his ministry with that into redemption. What legacy am I leaving? You know, the call in this 24th Psalm is a call of the gospel to let the king come into my heart. Is that the legacy of my life? What legacy am I leaving? Let's go to tomorrow. The psalm assigned to Monday was Psalm 48. Let's go there. Am I leaving a legacy that exalts my creator and worships my redeemer? Psalm 48. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is known in her palaces as a refuge. For lo, the kings were assembled. They passed by together. They saw it, and so they marveled. 
They were troubled and hasted away. Fear took hold of them there, and pain as a woman in travail. Thou breakest ships in Tarshish with an east wind. And they have heard, so have, they, so have we seen in the city the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, we will establish it forever. Selah. We have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple. According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice, and let the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgments. Walk about Zion, and go round about her. Tell the towers thereof. Mark ye her bulwarks, consider her palaces, that ye may tell it to the generation following. For this God is our God, even forever and ever. He will be our guide, even unto death. This psalm seems to be mainly centered about public worship in the congregation. Verses 1 through 8 deal with Jerusalem, the city of God, the mount of God, the holy temple of the mount of God, Mount Zion. Here the holiness of God is witnessed to the world. And it says it's a beautiful situation. And these verses tell us, here in the 8th verse, it says that the word of God will go out and nothing will stop it. Verses 9 through 14, and we're putting this in our own words, the church at Jerusalem experienced the love, the kindness, the righteousness of God, and as a result, there was praise, rejoicing, and reverence in their hearts. And they said, this God is our God. They would depend upon him for their whole life. Now, there's just a couple verses we'd like to reread. Walk, the 12th verse and 13th. Walk about Zion, go round about her, tell the towers thereof. Mark ye well her bulwarks, consider her palaces, for ye may tell it to the generation following. I would take it that these people were enthused about the fundamentals that God had established in Mount Zion. They were going to tell it to the next generation. To be a part of his kingdom was an important and urgent message to them. You know, it, it still is today. You'll uh, look at where we read there in Timothy. And look at the first couple verses in the next chapter, second chapter. This is Paul's instruction. He said, thou, thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. You notice the legacy from one generation to another Paul leaving a legacy to Timothy, Timothy to teach others so that they would teach others and they would teach others and they would teach others. The legacy of righteousness by faith. How 
how important it is it to me for the gospel to go out. You know, one of those uh, individuals we talked about earlier that went on home that was in his 80s was an uncle of mine, and he had an inclusive worldview of the kingdom of believers. He invested his life, his time, his treasure, his talents, all of it, in support of spreading the gospel everywhere. His legacy was that of a kingdom man. What legacy am I leaving? What is my legacy? I'd like to talk about the congregation here. This chapter seemed to be about congregations. You know, Jesus said that a congregation, he likened it to this. He said it's, it's like a city that's set on a hill it's supposed to be radiant. The glorious light of the gospel is supposed to be able to be seen there in that congregation. And in the uh, time that he used this illustration, the time that it was given, if you go back there to history, a lot of these cities were built out of white limestone that he was talking about. And when the sun shone on those cities, they just lit up and glowed on the horizon, and you couldn't miss them. I'd like for you to think about this, and not just with a passing thought. I'd like for you to think about this real deeply, and from about all the angles you can think of. This is my question. As a collective congregation, what is Cornerstone's legacy? Sela, let's think about that. As a collective congregation, what is Cornerstone's legacy? We're going to go on to Tuesday. We're going to go to the 82nd Psalm. That was assigned to Tuesday. Psalm 82. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, you're gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. 
but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit the nations. Well, this psalm still seems to be about the congregation and about the congregation setting, but there must have been individuals and judges within that congregation who were selfish. They were respecters of persons. They were without compassion, and they had a disregard for the lost. The result of that was unjust judgment, out of contact with holiness and the righteousness of God. You know, righteous judgment is the truth. God's word doing the judging. Will I bless the burdened or judge the burdened? That seems to be the question in this psalm to me. You know, when Shirley and I were first married, we, we married pretty young. And we, uh, at least I felt that for myself, I needed a lot of wisdom both spiritually and practically real fast. And so I liked to listen to older brothers. And particularly when we would have a council meeting in our congregation, I liked to listen to the wisdom of elderly brethren. And I remember one particular time we had a burdened individual, and I don't remember all the details of that, probably maybe some because of his own poor choices, but there needed to be a solution. And there were probably a few things talked about, but what I remember was this old brother, a very unique man. He just stood up and he said, you know, one time there was a man had a vineyard and in that vineyard, he had a fig tree. And he said that fig tree didn't yield anything for three years. And so he just told his vine dresser, he said, you just cut it down. He said, all it's doing is taking up space and it's not yielding anything. And the dresser told the Lord of the vineyard, he said, well, he said, uh, you just let me at least for this one year nurture and fertilize that tree and we'll see what happens and the brother sat down that's all he said third verse says defend the poor and the fatherless do justice to the afflicted deliver the poor and needy Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. You know, I suppose that's been at least 45 years ago that that man said that, that older brother, and I've never forgotten it. You know that legacy's been passed on? The next generation has a tremendous care 
and passion for the lost. The next generation has a lot of care and compassion too. What kind of a legacy am I leaving? What is my legacy? Well, while we're talking about congregation, there's another illustration I'm going to leave with us here. You know, there was a man out on the sidewalk about halfway between the street and the doors of a large church building that a congregation had met in. And the man stood there on the sidewalk with his shoulders slumped and his head hung down. And all of a sudden, another figure appeared right before him, glistening and in white. And it was the Lord. And Jesus asked that man, he said, how could I bless you today? And the man said, well, he said, I tried to get into that congregation for worship, and he said they wouldn't let me in. The Lord said, well, he said, I'm sorry. But he said, I don't want you to feel too bad. He said, I've been trying to get in there for a long time, too, and they won't let me in either. Can an outsider get in to congregations? I'm not talking about just coming through the doors and sitting in the pews. Can someone who's got pain and darkness in their heart come into the congregation and be illuminated with warmth and love. What kind of a spirit will they find? And more than that, those who belong to a congregation, how many of those who belong to a congregation feel rejection and loneliness? What kind of a legacy am I leaving? What's our legacy? Well, it's only Tuesday. And we're going to stop here. We've still got four days to go to complete the week. But you know somebody's week is going to be completed on Tuesday this time. Somebody's week's going to be completed today. They're not going to get through all seven days. But their legacy will. Their legacy is going to live on. What legacy am I leaving? May the Lord bless you.